morning, Christ Community Church. My name is Matt Holdsworth, and I'll be reading our scripture for today. Our passages are Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, then 3, verses 1 through 4, and 4, verses 19 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with one of the blue Bibles in the pews and, or in the chairs in front of you. And this is going to be on page 178. Please stand for the reading of God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates." All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may be able to have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. There shall be a distance between you and it, 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Finally, chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. The people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over it, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may be seated as we take a moment to reflect on God's word.
just out of curiosity, how many people here think that they haven't heard this sermon before? Just a few hands out there. This is the 20th version of this same sermon. But you're, like me, easy to forget. Uh, so uh, it's good to be reminded. <clears throat> In 1989, Nancy and I, been married for two years, moved from Columbia, South Carolina, where, where we on the Young Life staff, to Wilmington to become the area director. And so in 1989, we moved here. We lived in an apartment sort of near the UNCW campus. And in 1990, we decided to buy our first home. Little starter home, 1,200 square feet. And believe it or not, it was built way out, way out near Monkey Junction. <laughs> I mean, that was when it was still a little two-lane road out there. Wilson's Grocery Store up at the corner, not much else. And people said, why are you living way out there? We're in this little starter subdivision called Fox Run Farm. We bought a little 1,200 square foot uh, house, which in 1990 sold for $70,000. Today, that house is worth 300. Today, somebody's willing to pay 300. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way to say it, because I've lived in it. I'm not sure it's worth 300. Well, it's a brand new house. They kind of put the front lawn in for you, but you've got to do the rest. And we had a backyard that was mostly wooded and it kind of angled because we were on a, a cul-de-sac. But on one side, we basically, our yard just ran into the neighbor's yard. So I thought, we just need to build a fence right here. We don't have a pet or anything. We just need sort of a barrier and put some bushes up. And so I thought, I mean, I'm not putting in a gate. I'm not turning a corner. How hard can it be to put up a fence? So I went to Lowe's and they have these eight foot panels already pre-constructed. So I was like, this is perfect because you just have to put the post in then basically lean up the eight foot panel, tack it on. You've got an instant fence. So I had them deliver these eight panels. I got my, you know, my plumb line, the little chalk line. You draw, make sure it's going to be straight. Uh, one day on a Friday, I put the post in, I put them concreted in, and I, I made sure they were all lined up straight. And the next day, I'm going to put up these eight-foot panels. And I put the very first one up, kind of leaned it up against there, and then sort of hoisted it up on these little blocks so it was just right. And I sort of just temporarily tacked it up to make sure, stood back. I was like, this is beautiful. But I noticed when I measured... On the, on the next end that was going to connect to the next panel, it was just a quarter of an inch off of what I had originally measured. And I thought, so what? Nobody knows. So I was doing the, like the Snoopy dance out there going, this is great. I get the next panel and I put it up. And of course, it's a quarter of an inch off at the beginning here now. And when I tacked it up at the end, now it's three inches off the ground. And I realized if I put the next six panels on, my, my fence is going to be 30 feet off the ground. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, so what do I have to do? I have to go make sure the foundational panel is just right. Because if I'm going to connect something to this panel, it's going to connect to wherever I am, and then it's going to move off in that same direction for good or for ill. 
And I used this opening illustration 20 years ago when I did my very first Founders Day sermon to say, hey, we're, we were just um, June. So April, May, June, we're three months old. 20 or 25 people were going to join that day. We had a little barbecue. You got a t-shirt. Sorry, no t-shirts today. Uh, but it was a very simple little thing over there at Temple Baptist Activity Center, which is now the YMCA. And I'd said, hey, we're just getting started. We have no idea where we're going. But we've got to make sure this first panel is just right. Because somebody is going to come after us and they're going to connect to whatever we build. And even if we're just a quarter of an inch off, and even if it seems like no one really notices, the next generation is going to connect to that little error and then move off a little bit more. And the next generation is going to connect to that error. And then suddenly we're not going to be talking about Jesus anymore or not the Jesus that you see in the Bible. So I wanted to make sure on that first foundational sermon that we understood how Joshua founded the nation of Israel. So he's the person following Moses. He's going to really be the general that leads the charge across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan and establish Israel. And there were, certain, there were three principles on that first uh, Founders Day that I gleaned from these passages that I want to repeat here today. First of all, three foundational points for Joshua that I took as foundational points for us. We have to have godly leadership. We have to have a focus on God's word. And we have to have courage. We have to have godly leadership. We have to have a, a complete dedication to God's word. And then we have to have courage. All of these things found in these passages. And I want to talk about each one. Godly leadership. John Maxwell, who's probably the most famous person in the sort of the leadership space, he has a quote in the beginning of one of his books that everybody knows who knows John Maxwell. And it goes like this. Everything rises and falls on leadership, comma, everything. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And just in case... You're not sure what he means. He says it one more time. Everything. And you see this same thing happening in Genesis. The importance of leadership is right at the very beginning. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, male and female. They were made in God's image. They weren't produced like pieces of Play-Doh, and then they get to fashion themselves into whatever image they want. No, they were actually made in God's image. They were made in a good way. And Adam was specifically given the leadership role in this new, new family. Yet, tragically, Adam failed. He didn't defend God's word and he didn't defend his wife. And when he failed, when he fell, everything else fell with it. Just like Maxwell says, everything depends on leadership, everything. And when Adam fell, the whole creation fell. And we know Adam was the leader because after the fall, the very first thing God does is he comes walking, remember in the cool of the evening, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and they've hidden in the, in the, 
in the bushes. And what does God say? What's the very first thing he says? Adam, where are you? See, what God's doing, he's following his own chain of command. He could have said Adam and Eve. He could have said Eve. But he says, no, I set up a certain chain of command, and I'm going to go back through that chain of command. And Adam was the person who was in charge. Adam, where are you? What have you done? What's happened here? God wanted to know why there was a failure of leadership. Because God's design was to make God look great. To bring glory to God and protect people around. And Adam had failed in that way. And you might say the book of Joshua, Joshua gets a very similar charge as Adam. Joshua is leading this new, into this new kind of garden, Israel. And his, the purpose of this is primarily to make God's name great. And Matthew read it for us in Joshua chapter 4, the very last verse there in 24. So that all the people, we're, we're passing over, and we're passing over, verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God. All of this is happening to make God look great. So godly leadership is critical. And why is that important for Christ Community Church? Well, I've been here for 20 years now. And Lord willing, I'll be here for many more, but I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. And you know what they say, the the days are long, but the years are short. And Zachary, you know, he's in the video. I was 10. I can't believe I'm 30. You know, it just seems like you snap your fingers and you snap your fingers and one day it's going to be Paul Phillips' last day in this pulpit. And it's going to be up to the leadership primarily, but also to you to call a godly leader. Someone who's going to make God look great. To preach in a way to protect the souls of the people that come in that day. We had a great time last night. Uh, Just Nancy and I with Zachary Morgan, we were eating at Bonefish Grill. Bang, bang trip. It's really good. I probably shouldn't have said that right now because now you're going to think about eating. (laughs) But I I don't know if you've had these kind of rare dinner conversations that lasted three hours. And so it was purposeful just to say, let's talk about the last 20 years. You know, what, what are the scars that you have that have been healed or redeemed? What are the joys? What, what were the highlights? What, what do you think about it now? And so all these great memories come flooding back. You know, we're, we remember beating the breadcrumbs out of our own bread baskets at home, bringing them to church, uh, packing up all the kids' toys in our little Honda Civic uh, because uh, we were in the nursery. Nancy was four or five straight months in the nursery. You imagine getting the nursery assignment and you sign up and say, hey, you're on for the next four months. <clears throat> It goes by quickly. It goes by quickly. And so one day there's going to be a need for somebody here, and we're going to need a godly leader. And there's two particular characteristics that Joshua displays that I would say must be displayed in the leadership today and hopefully forever at Christ Community Church. One is the leader's primary focus, and I'm getting this from Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, 
is to focus on God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord spoke to Joshua. So the primary concern for the leader must be to listen to God and lead from his word. We, we don't want leaders who follow the mood of the congregation. We don't want leaders who follow the mood of the culture. We don't want leaders who follow their own mood. We, we need somebody who's tuned in to the Lord, and this is how you get tuned in, to know his word, to understand it, and then be able to deliver it in a way that shepherds people's souls. Timothy is being told this by Paul who is passing off the scene and Timothy is the next person in line for leadership. And Paul says at the very end of this very poignant letter, 2 Timothy, preach the word. And then he adds, in season and out. See, there's going to be a time when you're in season. Man, everybody wants to hear what you have to say and then there's going to be out of season. But when you're out of season, preach the word. And I would say we're moving towards out of season in our culture. And it's more critical than ever that we have people who are saying, but this is what God says. Not what I think, what my neighbor thinks, what the culture thinks. This, this is what God says. And we've got to have somebody who can stand up and say, this is it. And one of the greatest distractions for a leader, especially a pastor, is novelty or popularity. This is, a great, this is a great gravitational pull. Is something sort of comes on the scene and it seems novel and you want to sort of chase after the bright light or it's popular, everyone's doing it. So I heard someone say, in the church today we have manufactured all. A-W-E. It's like the church doesn't believe God is awesome. They're just not really sold that God's awesome. So God needs some awesomeness. And you've got to manufacture the awesomeness so people know God's awesome. And there was a reality TV show. I use this every time because it's so perfect and so painful, honestly. It was going to be a reality TV show called The Pulpit Masters. The Pulpit Masters. And this was the little tagline to get you interested in becoming a pulpit master. Could you be America's next inspired leader to make a difference in millions of people's lives? You hear that? Could you be the next leader to make a difference in millions? I don't know if you watch these shows like Shark Tank or something like that, and people have products, and what do they say their product's going to do? Change the world. I mean, it's like, that's just, all, we're all epic and you want to be a pulpit master that you, you can make a difference in millions of people's lives. Are you filled with fire and passion for God? Listen to this. We're looking for someone who can wow the pants off the audience. See, that's manufactured all. We're looking for somebody who's got some kind of fire and passion. We're looking for fog machines and fancy lights. Trying to help God be awesome. And what the church becomes is just a faint echo of the culture. And I, I don't think God needs help being awesome. 
At CCC, we're not trying to wow your pants off. <laughs> Please keep your pants on today as you exit the sanctuary. We're not trying to wow your pants off on a Sunday morning because you're not the focus. That may be news. You're not the primary target on Sunday morning. God is the primary target. God is the primary target. And if we can see him, he's awesome. I mean, it's hard for us to move that way because we've got lots of things in our brain, lots of noise. But when we can get in touch with who God really is, he's awesome. He doesn't need any help. When you leave on Sunday mornings, we, all of us, want you to be impressed with God, not with us. Second characteristic is, again, in this first chapter, in the first verse, uh, the leader must be a servant. You see that? Moses was a servant. God refers to Moses as servant three times here in this opening passage. And wouldn't it be great for your tombstone? Paul Phillips, here lies a servant of the Lord. That's what I'm, I'm just a servant. I mean, whatever he says, that's what I'm going to try to do. Moses was that kind of person. And now Joshua's translate, he's transitioning into that role. In the New Testament, the word leader is used less than 10 times. And the word servant is used more than 1,000 times. John Wesley, the person who started the Methodist church in England, there's a statue there of him. And John Wesley was 5'2". He preached over 40,000 sermons in a lifetime. So I'm very humbled when I read that fact. At 83, he got angry at his doctor who wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times in one week. (laughs) Here's what he says in a journal. Laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an 86. There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. On his statue there, at the bottom it says this, Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't. Give God the glory. You see, there's a statue of this guy, and he's trying to say, even if you're looking at this statue, don't praise the instrument. Praise God. Give God the glory. Because Wesley's just a servant, just like I am, just like you are. So so no matter how powerful or dynamic the leader is, no matter how often he shakes his hands at you like this that I saw in the video today, and I realize I still do, (laughs) the, the church isn't built on me. The church isn't built on a vision. The church isn't built on teaching and transforming and touching. The church isn't built on the elders. The church isn't, the church is built on Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's the person we have to put out there just right. And if we get in the way of it, we're going to get it off by a quarter of an inch or more. So we have to have the right kind of leadership. The right kind of leadership who's really trusting in God's word, listening to God's word, and brings it out in a servant-like way. Secondly, God's word. 
when you build a fence, you establish a plumb line, like I said. So that helps you know if you're, when you look down the line of your fence, is it going to go like this or is it going to go straight? And the, the plumb line for us is the Bible. We, we live in a culture now that has decreasing trust in its institutions. Could be politics, could be the Supreme Court, could be a family. A lot of God-ordained institutions that now we don't trust anymore. I don't care what the CDC says. I don't care what the president says. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. You see, that's our culture now. Now, I do care what those things say, but I'm just saying that's the culture that we live in. So we desperately need a plumb line. We desperately need a fixed point. And I love how Joshua is given a verbal and a visual exhortation. So this is so important. God is going to make sure whatever kind of learner Joshua is, you know, you can be an, an, an audible learner. So I just need to hear you say it and then I process it. I got it. And then there's like me, the visual learner. I need a story. I need an illustration. Then I got it. So Joshua is coming in and, and God's going to say, I'm going to give you both the verbal and the visual illustration about the importance of my word. So you can't, you can't miss it, Joshua. Here's the verbal exhortation. You see it in Joshua 1, 7, and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do everything written in it. Don't turn from the right or the left. The, the word shall not depart from your mouth. You've got to meditate it on it day and night. So God is pulling his leader in and saying, Joshua, you're entering a culture and the culture is not neutral. The culture is a fast-moving stream. And it's going to attempt to reshape your soul. And if you don't have a fixed point like God's Word, you're going to get washed out. It's going to reshape your soul. So I need to help you verbally understand. And, and I think about my granddaughter today. I think about these children that we baptized. It seems like so many in the last month or so. They're entering in this world. It's a fast-moving stream. I mean, the, 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 the culture my granddaughter is entering into is moving so much faster than the one I was born into. And it's, it's scary sometimes. And there's so much information coming at her even right now. And I want her to have that one fixed point. This is what we know is true. And I want her to know God's Word. I don't know if you've heard the true story from this past week about the pilot who passed out. You hear this story? Crazy. So it's kind of a, a Cessna, a little you know, private plane. I think there were two or three people in the plane. One was the pilot. And he didn't die, but he did pass out. And there were a couple other people in the plane. And they're coming back from the Bahamas to Florida. And it's, you, you, you want to listen to it, not in the next 15 minutes, but sometime when you go home. And here's the first radio contact from this guy who's never flown a plane before. He's a passenger. We have a serious situation here. <laughs> I mean, just imagine, well, you know, the, the pilot's on the floor. 
He's already dropped from, I think, 9,000 feet to, to 6,000 feet in a very short period of time. We have a very serious situation here. The pilot has passed out, and I have no idea how to fly a plane. This, this makes me for, sort of shiver just thinking about it. And the air traffic controller, he says this, what's your position? <laughs> and the pilot says, I have no idea. <laughs> now, just try to imagine this. So here's the genius thing, plus God's mercy, is the air traffic controller was himself a pilot instructor. So this really helped. And then he went on the internet, I guess, and whatever this Cessna plane was, he printed out the exact duplication of all the instrumentation. So he's sitting there talking to this guy. He's got the exact, everything's the same now. And he's telling this guy who's never flown a plane, you're going to land this plane in, in Miami, Florida. Can you imagine how riveted this new pilot was to the information coming across the headset? Do you think he ever said, you know what, that doesn't sound right. I'd like to try this. <laughs> I mean, do you think that even crossed his mind? No. I've never done this before. You and I get one chance to live this life. We've never done it before. There's a creator who knows exactly how to live. And he's giving you step-by-step -step instructions. And you and I want to say, you know what? That part doesn't sound right. So many times. And we fly ourselves into the ground over and over again. So we have to have the same focus on God's word as this brand new pilot did to this air traffic controller. Hey, can you say that one more time? I want to make sure I got this right because I don't pull this lever or do this until I know this is exactly what you meant. Yes, that's exactly what you meant. Well, I'm going to do it right now. Is that good? Yes, okay. You feel that tension? God's word, what a value. He have it written down. And you can get up every morning and get it play-by-play -play instructions on so many things and avoid flying yourself into the ground if we just listen to God's Word. Then there's the visual illustration. That's the verbal exhortation. Now there's the visual illustration, Joshua 3, 1 through 4. Joshua has been given the command, hey, get the Levitical priests together. They're going to hold the Ark of the Covenant which holds the Ten Commandments, God's Word. They're going to be out in front, and we're going to go across the Jordan River in a miraculous way and enter Canaan, and everybody's going to follow behind. But if you remember, he said, you got to stay some distance behind. It's 1,000 yards, 10 football fields. Why, why so far? Man, that's, that's a long way. I love the answer, verse 4. You've never been this way before. You know, if you've never been somewhere before, you go a little more slowly. Just, I, I want to be very careful. I want to make sure I make just the right turns. I, I've never, I, I don't know which way to go, so I want to make sure I know exactly what's happening. So 
God's giving these people an impossible assignment. I talked about this last week, and he wants to make sure they understand to complete the impossible assignment, they have to have their eyes focused on him. That's why when we read God's word, we have a pause in between. I want, I want to visually say there's some distance between what God says and what I say. I just want to set up that visual illustration that what I'm saying here is not the same as what God said in Joshua. I don't want anybody to get confused. And you know, if you get too close, people in the back might say, well, we're just following Paul. So he doesn't want anybody to get too close because we want everybody focused on God's word. Finally, it takes courage. You see how often it said in this first chapter, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, he'd been through the Red Sea. He'd been on Mount Sinai. He had been wandering through the desert. He's one of the 12 spies who actually went to Canaan and came back and said we should go in 40 years ago. He's like a, a powerful military general. And yet here in this first exhortation, he's got to be told by God himself, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Well, what would he be so afraid of? Two primary things. One, giants. Remember that? They went over and said, oh, these people look like giants to us. We're going to be like grasshoppers. Remember that passage? So you leave, and it just feels like the culture is a giant. It's like an elephant sitting on your chest. You're like, I just don't have any way to win. I mean, I just feel like no matter how I try to protect, I can't get through. And so God's telling Joshua, but I'm with you, and I can lift an elephant. So you need to keep moving forward. Be strong and courageous. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think the other part is he's led these people for 40 years. And what's been the biggest problem following God in the last 40 years? God's own people. I mean, you've read it with frustration, haven't you? They complain the whole time. And they've seen some of the most miraculous things. And yet, even up to the crossing, they're, they're complaining. And Joshua knows he might take some arrows from the front, from the giants. He's going to get more arrows from the back, from the people. So he said, hey, Joshua, you're going to get arrows from both sides. Keep going. Be strong and courageous. Paul Phillips, be strong and courageous. You're going to get arrows from the front and the back. Christ Community Church, be strong and courageous. Be strong. Be courageous. Move forward. Even in the face of pressure and arrows, either from your friends or your enemies, trust in God's word that it will do the work. And you and I, we're just servants. We're listening to the instructions and we're trying to fly this way to get home. I love how this section closes in chapter 4. They cross the Jordan River and then Joshua says, hey, you all need to go back. We need one person from every tribe, so 12 tribes. They all get a stone out of the river and then they set up a little, um, a little altar. And it's called an Ebenezer. 
is called the stone of remembrance. And what, you know what he says? He says, hey, in future generations, people are going to come see this thing set up and say, you know, this just didn't happen. Why are these 12 stones here? And when that happens, you can tell your family, hey, God did something great here. I want you to remember God. And so we have this sermon like a little Ebenezer. Because we can forget. We can forget how important godly leadership is. That the person has to know the word and be a servant. We can forget how important God's word is. We can just move off a quarter of an inch to our word. Well, I, I hear the instructions, but I'd rather turn left rather than turn right. We've got to, got to remember to be strong and courageous because it's always easier for a church to shrink in and just say, hey, we, look, there's plenty of people. Got plenty of money right now. Let's not do anything that would cause any kind of disturbance. They say, no, I've sent you to be a disturbance, to be my disciples. Matt McFarlane, who was in one of these videos, a young man who was a ministry apprentice here. He went to UNCW, was here for a year. We sent him to seminary, and now he's at First Presbyterian in Columbia, South Carolina, as the youth minister. And when he uh, was on the video, it wasn't shown, but he says, hey, it's very interesting that this is y'all's 20th anniversary because I'm in a church that's selling our, sell, celebrating our 225th anniversary. And he said, I was at a meeting last night and the pastor said, hey, when they broke ground at First Press Columbia, George Washington was president. <laughs> and Napoleon was trying to take over Europe. Can you imagine that? And then Matt said, it's been a long time, 20 years, but you're just beginning. And you hear him say, keep going. Keep going. In 200 years, none of us, I hate to inform you, <laughs> none of our children are going to be here. But we're trying to put up the very first panel. Because in 200 years, people are going to be in this building. And I want them to be praising the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we... I was so frail... It, it's just so easy, easy for us to know you're giving us these instructions and think, yeah, but can I tweak them a little bit? Like sheep, we can go astray and wander each to his own way. So we need this helpful reminder from Joshua from 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago to today. Same as true, same as necessary. Would you help us by giving us a love and hunger for your word? And whatever it would mean for every individual here, but especially our church, to be strong and courageous in this culture, would we do that? And may future generations connect to you, the chief cornerstone. 
and trust in you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.